Okay. So the second part of our little mini lectures today, talk about post hoc comparisons. Okay. So you, you, you've got your F pass, you've done your now experience, maybe you transformed, you probably did, you usually don't have to. Um, you have a significant F. Now what? Okay, your null hypothesis is that u1 equals b2 equals b3, 3 equals dot, 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 equals b k. In other words, all the means are equal. Your alternative hypothesis is that two of them aren't. But which two? Which two means different from each other? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't tell you that. It just tells you that there's a pattern in your data that's different than them all being the same. It doesn't say which ones are different. Okay. It doesn't say. Well, what, one of the, there are many different techniques you can use to, to find out which mean is different from which mean. One of them is uh, bon for, the Bonferroni test. Uh, it's for three Casey. Chef Boyardee makes that. Uh, I love a good can of Bonferroni. Basically, what this is is it's a t test. But if you did a bunch of t tests on the same data set, like let's say you got three groups, you got to compare group one to group two, group one to group three, and group two to group three. Now you have to do two. Yeah. Now you have to do three t tests. Should be hard to say. I don't know what my keys are. Well, the alpha was 0.05. Now it's 0. Uh oh, One more likely to make a, a type 1 error. We don't like type 1 errors, do we? They embarrass us. They make us make fools of ourselves. So basically, the Montferroni T procedure just takes care of this. One over n times alpha, where n is the number of corrections you're going to do. It's called the Bonferroni correction. So if you're going to do three, it's one third times alpha. So now it's 0.05 divided by three, and that's now your new critical value for t. This used to be so evil to do because t tables have 0 0.05, 0 0.01, 0 0.005. That's about it. And if you couldn't do it with a table, you'd have to get these Bonferroni T tables, and they were evil. Now you have a computer, and you know, 0.05 over 3 is what? So, uh, 0.0, oh, what? 0.06, yes, it's going to be 0.0167. 0.0167. 0.0167 was the that's a pain, because the table doesn't have a 0.0167 interest. So you can horrible thing. Now you go, please do a long run, you can to this, and it just does it. So you're very lucky, you kids today, with your fancy thinking machines. By the way, did you see the fancy thinking machine kick ass yesterday on Jeopardy? It is awesome. There's a computer that's beating the best Jeopardy players ever. Jeopardy. Of course, if it loses, it'll flood the whole thing with deadly poison gas and kill everything. So, 
and it'll become sentient. It's <laughs> but uh, it's pretty awesome. So, you know, it used to be this was horrible, right? Teaching people to use these tables took an hour. Now it's like, use it in your phone. So it actually, it's just a t-test. The only difference here, so we've got two groups. Group one and group two, we're going to call it t prime because it's not quite t. Instead of using, um, s squared, we're going to use mean squared error. Mean squared error is an estimate of variance, right? So why not use it? We've already calculated for the uh, analysis of variance. So it's two mean squared error over n is the denominator, the numerator as x1 and x2. Now it can be x1 and x3, and x2 and x3 as well. Which is a bunch of t-tests. Pretty simple. By the way, no one does these by hand, because you're already having your computer to be in over for you, so it's usually just a thing of, oh yeah, could you look at the post-hoc comparisons too, please? Quick. And it does them for you. We used to just ridiculous. I remember taking stats in the second year, and we had to do these by hand when on assignments. It was ridiculous. Okay, there's another way we can do it, and it's very simple. Uh, similar, we end up with a, a quantity we're going to call, call Q, and it looks just like the, or very similar to the Bonferroni procedure, except we take the largest mean. We subtract the smallest mean, divide by mean squared error over n, square root of that, and we get a quantity called q, q sub r. Okay? And again, don't worry, you'd never do this by hand. We're not, we're not quite there yet. We're going to do something with this q when we're done calculating. So we have the largest mean minus the smallest mean. So let's say you have five values. Take the highest one and the lowest one. And subtract the highest from the lowest. Divide by mean squared error, uh, square root of mean squared error, error over n. n is the number of subjects per group, by the way. So we get this value, and then we look it up on a, let me just go back here. We look that up, and we say, okay, we got this, this number, and it's like 4. Okay, let's say it's 4. Now, any two means that differ by 4 are different. It's just how it works. Okay? The Newman-Cools test is almost exactly the same, except what we do is we take that Q value that we've determined, a critical value, rather, sorry, which you can look up. Again, a computer will do this for you. And multiply it times the square root of mean squared error over n. And it gives us a thing called w. Any set of comparisons with the range of r. So the, the studentized range one gives you largest and smallest, and then you're doing all the comparisons. This is just like, how many comparisons do you want to do? Because sometimes you've got, really, you've got like 17 groups, but nine of them are control groups. You don't want to compare all nine control groups to each other. It doesn't matter. You're thinking, what if you have nine control groups in every classical conditioning experiment you've ever read? There's always a ton of control groups. So you might want to just compare them to one control, because they all look the same. So instead of doing, you know, 27 comparisons, I'm going to do four. 
So it's almost exactly the same. So all comparisons in the range of three, so just say three means for each other. Now, just a thing called Tukey's HSD. HSD stands for Honestly Significant Difference. Uses this formula and does all of them with the studentized range. Okay? They're all very similar. The math behind them all is almost exactly the same. It's usually some variation on a t test using mean squared error instead of s. Okay? It's almost always the case. Or, sorry, instead of s squared. And like I said, nobody ever does it by hand. So just as long as you know what these things are, all they're doing is they're finding out which means are different from each other. You don't have to worry about how to calculate these things. Just remember they're all t-tests, variations on a t-test. We're going to substitute mean squared error in for s squared. What was the HSD again? Uh, honestly, significant difference. There's also the LSD. <laughs> no, there is. It's least significant difference. There's the Chiffet test that I'm not even going to talk about because it never finds significance. It's so conservative the test that you can even get a significant F value and then it doesn't find any means for different. It seems to me that's not very useful. But there's a lot of procedures. Um, which comparison do you use? Which one? You're right, that, that's the question. Which, which one should I use? If I'm doing my thesis, or when you read a paper, you'll see post-talk comparisons we've done. Frankly, most people just do all of them and then pick the ones, the pattern that suits their hypothesis. I don't think you probably want to do that, but that's typically what people do. <coughs> I'd stick to one in a paper, though. It looks a little bit suspicious when you say, well, in experiment two, I decided to go with a much more liberal test because the data are any good. Uh, you don't really want to do that. So stick to one in a paper. Uh, there's a few. The ones I told you about today are the popular ones. I haven't seen Chiffet ever used in a paper. It's one of those things that's always taught to you in school, and no one ever uses it because it's so conservative. That, and I like conservative in science. It should be that way. You have to be careful. You don't want to make it idiot yourself and say that the aliens have been here. But I get your suggestion. You're aliens. You look like an idiot. On the other hand. Um, if it's so conservative that there's actually an alien standing in front of you and go, no, you're not, uh, that's, that's not good. And I find the Chiffet test is useless that way. So it's just me. And most, everybody, like I said, I've never heard of a paper with the Chiffet, Chiffet test in I usually use uh, HSD. Honestly, it's a good difference. It's got a nice balance between conservative and useful in finding differences. Right? I don't like post-talk tests. So the reason I did this over 12 minutes and then I just said, don't worry, the computer does it, and remember they're just t-tests using mean squared error, is because I think they're stupid. I have a problem with them. And my problem is this. The reason you do analysis of variance is to find a pattern in your data. Right? I want to look and say, is it different than random chance? So I'm going to look at that and say, hmm, that makes sense to me. It's different than what I would expect by random chance. I usually figure I'm smart enough to look at a graph and interpret it. 
the nomics will be the values for different. If I have three groups, if I have three groups and two of them look like this, and one of them looks like that, I know where the difference is. I don't need some fancy post-hoc test to tell me. Looks to me like group three is different from the other two. And one of those is going to be a control group anyway. This may be partially because I came to like really simple experiments. I really don't like, well, I'm going at three by three by six by four. Uh, two within, two between, and one, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I don't like that. I can't think in four dimensions. Right? I have enough trouble thinking in three, and I live in three. I don't see in 3D. It's, maybe it's that. It's all because of my vision pity. My son has autism. Sorry, throw that into the I don't pity it. This morning he was playing Blue's Clues. He said, You know the show, Blue's Clues, for those kids. He's running around the house yelling, A clue! A clue! Popping his head at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> he said, Will you just shut up? Stop playing loud clues over there? He's cracking up the whole show. He's running around the house going, Please just got a letter! It's really loud! <laughs> One story has to finish basement. So, like, we're all on the same floor. He's running back and forth, screaming about clues he's found. Yeah, it was great. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I just, I like simple experiments. So it might be that that's my bias that I usually like to say to people, oh, well, we'll see the difference. We'll see. Even if it's a factorial analysis, if I've got a two by two, I can tell you when the difference happened. I don't need four levels this way and five that way. But everybody's a little bit different. And believe me, even though I don't like them, if you do your honors thesis with me, Cheryl will make you do them. Because it's the standard, not because Cheryl's me. Because it's the standard. That's what you do. I just don't know that it should be. Remember, I had a, a, a reviewer of a journal article. I was looking, you know, why did you do post hocs? We didn't need them. It necessarily complicates. No, no, yeah, it's probably. And it's also because that's my most stats problems. There's no need for that. You're just looking for a pattern in your data. There's no need for you to go out and not try to prove it. There's a post hoc comparison. I'm going to spend 10 minutes on this cloud. So, I was trying that way. All right. That was great. We're done. Nice and early. Let me go see if I find my keys. <laughs> Thanks, guys.